1: I pray that you have read through our series this week, Exodus 19-24, because we're going to kind of look at that as a highlight. But we're looking at God makes a covenant with His children as we come through our study in Exodus. Now the story of redemption takes a giant leap forward in our passage today. As God presents Israel with what will be called the Mosaic Covenant. The story of redemption consists of God's plan to redeem sinful men and women from His wrath and adopt us as His children. This story began before the foundation of the world as Paul teaches that God the Father chose us in Himself before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for this adoptions as sons to Christ Jesus according to the purpose of His will. And knowing that our first parents, Adam and Eve, would rebel, plunging the whole human race into into death, into sin and death. The Father promised to send a deliverer, to redeem them from the curse of sin and death. We see this in Genesis 3.15. You know this, we have taught this much. That God says, I will put enmity between you, speaking to Satan, and the woman between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise is healed. This is the first appearance of the promise of God to provide a savior to destroy the works of the devil. The story continues with sin making its presence known as God describes that he saw the wickedness of man was great in the world and that every intention of the thoughts of the heart was only evil continually. This leads evil to a This evil leads to a worldwide flood that destroys all human life except for Noah and his family. Yet God has not forgotten his promises. God in his mercy makes a covenant with Noah and displays a rainbow declaring that this is a sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations and the water shall never again be a flood to destroy all flesh. So humanity flourishes after the flood and they begin to occupy the world, fulfilling the mandate to be fruitful and multiply. However, they're still under the penalty, the power and the presence of death. Centuries go by as the human race is occupied, raising families, building cities and creating entire cultures from scratch. But they're still under the curse of sin and death. Yet God has not forgotten his promises. In Genesis 12, we are introduced to Abraham, whom God promises the next chapter in the story of redemption. When he says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It is announced that the Deliverer, the Redeemer, will come from the family of Abraham. Moses takes us through the following chapters, depicting that the Messiah will come first through Isaac, and then through Jacob, who has 12 sons of his own. Jacob moves his family to Egypt to escape famine, only to have his family subjugated into slavery for over 400 years. Yet, God has not forgotten his promises. Do you see a theme yet? For the past nine weeks, you and I have been exploring the chapter of redemption that's found in Exodus that follows the Israelites as God sends them Moses, a prototype deliverer to redeem his children from the clutches of Pharaoh in Egypt. We have found this part of the story rich with shadows and types as God's promises to redeem a people of his own. Throughout Genesis and Exodus, we have been reading the clues, the glimpses of the gospel that point to how God is going to accomplish this great redemption. And after Israel's miraculous delivery from Egypt, God, we saw from the last few weeks, God tested their faith in him. And as we know from our study, they failed miserably. Yet God continues to graciously provide for Israel their substances, their protection and leadership that they so desperately need. But our passage this week, chapters 19 through chapter 24, Moses records the next step in God's redemption plan, the giving of the Mosaic covenant. Now, what is a covenant? We have seen this many times, this word. The term covenant is of a Latin origin. It means a coming together. It presupposes two or more parties who come together to make a contract agreeing on promises, stipulations, privileges, and responsibilities. According to Theopedia, a Christian website that does uh, the, the theology, God's covenant contains two especially important components, terms and duration. Although humans may reach covenants or other agreements through their own devices, God's covenant, and listen with me, God's covenant with people are usually unilateral. In other words, it's God who initiates it and completes it. He alone determines the terms and conditions humans choose whether or not to accept them. And so today as we, we come, there's a plot device here that's happening. The story is about to take a big jump forward in the story of redemption. Remember, just as a matter of view, the Bible is one story. Yes, 66 books, many authors written over thousands of years, but yet filled with many stories, but yet still telling one story, the story of the creation and redemption of man. The Mosaic Covenant is found in these chapters, Exodus 19-24. And in this covenant, God reveals his promises, his expectations, and his intentions for his children. To open up, would you read with me? You take your Bibles, Exodus chapter 19. And let's read through those first five verses of that chapter. Exodus chapter 19 One through five, it'll be in your Bible. Again, I want to encourage you, bring your Bibles. If you need one, please let Dustin and I know we have some that we are desperately wanting to give to you. On the third new new moon, Moses writes, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. So just about three months after leaving Egypt, they set out in verse two from Rephidim and they came into the wilderness of Sinai and they encamped in the wilderness. uh, There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on an eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Father, let us take a time to pause from our busy week and the week that's ahead. Help us to... Empty our minds of the distractions and all the other things that can compete for our attention. As we just consider your word and the power of your word and the revealing of your word. That what was spoken here this morning as we read scripture has been spoken for thousands of years. In different lands, in different tongues, in different nations, to different people. Father, these words are precious and true. We recognize that as your people, we will one day stand before you and give an account for how we spent this time. So let us spend it wisely, godly, looking and pleading, desiring to respond to your spirit. Let me speak the words that are edifying. Let me know the difference and let us know the difference between my mere opinion and your word. And may it be shifted and may it be true. And may we hold on to those precious truths. We praise the name of our Savior. Amen. Now, after rescuing Israel from slavery, God initiates a covenant relationship with Israel for the sake of the nations. At this time, it's been to a family. Now we're seeing a nation, a nation of families here, that are the 12 sons of Israel. And so he's going to reiterate, really, that covenant that he made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. This is a crucial moment in the development of the entire biblical storyline. There are three things that I want to point out in our passage for today that God reveals. The first one that I want us to see that God reveals is God reveals his plan for Israel. God reveals his plan for Israel. Again, go to uh, chapter 19 of Exodus. Look at verses 5 and 6. Again, now therefore, if you'll indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possessions among all peoples. For all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. His plans for them comes in the form of two promises. God's plan for Israel is to make, number one, to make Israel his special possession among the people of the lands. Out of all the people of all the lands, they are going to be a special possession. This finalizes what began with God's promise to their forefather Abraham when he said, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Abraham, not sure of what to make of this promise, declares to God, but I am childless with only a servant to be my heir. But in Genesis 15, God takes Abraham out. And you can picture this if you've ever been out into the desert or the mountains. You can imagine a dark evening where there's no, not many ambient lights around. And he says, look at the stars and begin to count them. It's impossible. He says, your offspring will be as many as the stars. Of course, we can see that God was faithful to that promise. But now God declares that out of all the nations of the world, and all the children of Abraham, remember Abraham more, had more than just one child, He's going to choose them, the sons of Jacob, as his own treasured possession is what he calls them. In Deuteronomy, Moses declares that God found the children of Israel in a desert land and in a howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled them. He cared for them. He kept them as the apple of his eye. And like any man who has a great treasure, God promises to protect them, to guide them and to prosper them. We see that this promise displays the grace of God as we read in in uh, chapter 19 verse 4 that God declares that I brought you to myself. What a wonderful phrase. It was not because of their might or their power or their goodness that God chose them. Up to this point, we see that Israel is no better than any other nation. They are disobedient, they were rebellious. They are grumbling and complaining all the time. God declares in Deuteronomy chapter 7, he says, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. He says, For you were the fewest of people, but it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping an oath that he swore to his fathers. What a wonderful, wonderful commitment. God says, I'm going to take you and I'm going to bring you as my treasure. You're going to be the apple of my eye. And I think uh, for parents, you kind of understand it. If you're a grandparent, you understand a little bit more about that treasure, about that apple of your eye. God says, I'm going to make you a special possession. Now, could you imagine being Israel at this point and hearing these words? Remember where they've been for the last 400 years? They've been slaves. Their sons thrown into the river, killed as they were being born, hidden from Egypt and the Egyptians struggling to not just make a living, but just to exist. Before that, yes, they had more cattle and stuff before that, but they were nomads, never owning a piece of land since Abraham left Ur the Chaldees. Never owning anything but one cave where they were able to bury their dead. And God says, out of all nations, I'm choosing you. You shall be my treasured possession. So not only does God reveal his plan for Israel to make them a special possession among all the nations, but also, number two, to make Israel a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Scripture tells that God has called Israel to become a kingdom of priests who will mediate between God and all the nations. That's what a priest does. He mediates between God and people. In this case, he says, you're going to mediate between me and also between the nations. You're going to be my ambassadors. Through Israel, God is revealing his redemption plan to all of humanity. Paul writes that it was with the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. They were the aroma and the fragrance, the light, the salt that would lead others to the almighty creator and sustainer of life. This builds on Genesis 12 to bless the nations through Abraham and his offspring when he says, unto you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And we find Israel's response to these wonderful plans to make you a treasured people and to make you a holy people. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 7, Moses came and called the elders of the people and he set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. One theologian notes that Israel's obedience to the terms of the covenant is crucial to the plan of God's presence and character to become accessible to the nations. I could not imagine Israel saying no to God at this point, but yet their obedience was important. It was crucial to a covenant. As one comes and says, I will do this for you, and the others agree, yes, please. The amazing thing about such examples of the divine covenant is that they are gracious means of a relationship with God for a people who deserve, listen to this, to be removed from His presence forever. They do not deserve God, just as you and I don't deserve God or deserve a Savior. We deserve to be removed from His presence forever. Indeed, the heart of the covenant is so often and wonderful recapitulated by God Himself is that the expression of an intimate relationship where God says you will be my people and I will be your God. Now as you can almost guess and see for those of you who know the New Testament, there are many intended parallels between Israel and the church today. You and I, the church, those who have submitted to Christ, we are like Israel in that we were chosen by God to be His treasure and to mediate His kingdom. Turn if you would to 1 Peter chapter 2. You and I went over this last year, or I guess this year, last year. However, whenever we went through this 1 Peter chapter 2. So this will be very familiar to you, but a good a good reminder. 1 Peter chapter 2, near the end of the New Testament. Look at verse 9 of 1 Peter chapter 2. Where Peter is writing, and he's writing under the Holy Spirit, and he's speaking to the Gentile church there at Galatia. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Where is Peter getting this language? From Moses. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. That's what we're mediating. We're proclaiming the excellencies of God. And I would direct you to our website to where you can get those messages if you haven't heard them. Those are wonderful things that we're to proclaim. But look at verse 10. Again, you're going to see Old Testament language here. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This story of redemption that we're seeing here, this covenant, points to something even greater than the Mosaic covenant. Like Israel, God promised to protect, guide, and redeem all those that call upon the name of Jesus. In turn, you and I are to be mediators of God, serving as ambassadors of, God, of the gospel, sharing the ministry of reconciliation. So God reveals his plan for Israel. In this Mosaic covenant. The second thing that God reveals in this chapter through the Mosaic covenant is God reveals, number two, God reveals his expectations for Israel. He reveals his expectations. So when God says, I'm going to make you my children, I'm going to make you uh, my people, he's sharing his desire, what he wants to do. But yet, as we've seen, there's expectations for his people. Now those are found in the, in, the, uh, in the Ten Commandments. God begins to give Israel the Torah, which makes clear the terms of the covenant which Israel is expected to keep. Torah, the word means instructions or teachings. They consist here in our passage. We find more of them in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, but here they consist in our passage as the Ten Commandments and 52 other blocks of laws that will shape Israel's social, economic, and worship we're doing life together. Two plus million people, they need to know how to do life together as God's treasured people and as a kingdom of priests that are to be holy. So God says in their passage, here are 10 commandments and here's 52 others that will help guide you in your way. These laws includes who and how to worship as well as how to treat others. Living these laws will make Israel a nation of justice and generosity That will reflect God's own character, especially in a land that is both foreign to God and foreign to them. These laws, especially the Ten Commandments, reflect the holiness of God and His expectations for His people to be as holy as He is holy. For He says, you must be holy as I am. Turn again to Deuteronomy, not again, but turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4. In this passage, Moses is going to give us an explanation. Why does God give him these laws? What are they purpose? Is it just to be a burden? It's just to make his life miserable, their life miserable. I know most of our children think that we come up with rules and regulations and expectations for them just to make their life miserable. But as you and I know from scripture that God gives us precepts so that we may know the principle and the person of God. And in Deuteronomy chapter 4, look at verse 5, we get an explanation of what they are. In verse chapter 5, or 4, excuse me, of Deuteronomy, looking at verse 5, Moses writes this, See, I have taught you, or taught you statues and rules as, my Lord, as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Verse six keep them and do them for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of peoples who when they will hear all these statutes will say this look what he says surely this is a great na- this great nation is a wise and understanding people for what great nation is there that has a god so near to it as the lord our god is to us whenever we call upon him. And what great nation is there that has statues and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? This is how they were to be a holy nation. This is how they were to be priests. This is how they were to mediate God's kingdom. Their very act of keeping these laws and teaching these laws and obeying these laws would serve as salt and light. The aroma of Others would see not just their laws and how they live together, but it would reflect the very glory of God, for it reflects His character and His love for others and who He is. These laws serve to reveal to the nations God's perfect character and expectations. It displays God's concern for the outcasts, the slaves, the sojourners, the widows, the fatherless, poor, just as Jesus did in His earthly ministry. These laws were concerned with the welfare of others rather than of oneself. And as you read through these Ten Commandments and then through these 52 other laws, some of them might have been strange to you. Others might have said, well, these just seem like common sense. But as you read these laws, you will see the other self that they are. It's not about you, but it's about others. How you love others, how you treat others. Now, these laws were mandatory. They're not suggestions, options, or considerations, but expectations of how you and I are to approach a holy God. To fail in one is to fail in all. James the elder warns, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for it all. You and I know that Israel failed to keep this law, as has every one of us. Scripture declares that you and I are all guilty, deserving death. And Paul informs us that by the works of the law, by trying to keep these commandments, no human being will be justified in God's sight. For none could perfectly obey. When the Pharisees and the disciples tried to justify themselves with their outward works, Christ corrected their faulty belief by pointing out that it is the heart That matters. Our heart betrays our adulterous, covetous, murderous, rebellious nature. By these expectations, I would say that Israel, looking back, and that even you and I today are without hope. For centuries, Israel failed in obeying these commands, just as you and I have. But there is hope in Christ. Though not yet revealed here in Exodus, God is progressively revealing the future work of Christ. Look here to the monitor, Romans chapter 8, verse 3, where Paul writes, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Meaning that the law could not do it because our flesh was so weak. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. As Jesus said, you must be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. Who walk not according to flesh, but according to the spirit. As in our first point, there are many intended parallels between Israel and the church today. Like Israel, God has expectations for you and I. Paul informs us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that we are not our own. Like Israel, we were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, we didn't read this earlier, but if we were to continue on, the apostle Peter pleads, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your souls. He goes on to tell us to keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We too are to serve in the same way that Israel does. The law has the same effect. God expects his children to obey his commands and to live or to be examples by living a life that is blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom we all shine as lights in the world. Now, if we were to stay right here in Exodus, we would be without hope, but yet you and I know the rest of the story. But suffice it to say, as we look here in Exodus, at this chapter of redemption, at this period where they're still looking forward, God has given them and says, I'm revealing my plan for you and I'm revealing my expectations. Number three, as we continue on, God reveals one last thing. As God reveals His intentions for Israel. His intentions for Israel. In our scripture reading earlier, Randy read Exodus chapter 23. You may want to turn there real quickly if you're there, chapter, chapter 23. And look at verse 20 where God promises, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you in the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. God is reiterating what he promised to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17 when he says, I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. In Jeremiah chapter 29, God gives the same promise hundreds of years later Years later, when he promises the prophet uh, Jeremiah when Israel was in captivity. He says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and hope. God has an intention for his people. His laws are expectations and he has a plan, but he also has an intention. As the apple of God's eye, he is going to give them a place to dwell, to work, to love, and a special relationship with himself. He promises to give them an angel in verse 23 to lead them they are to serve God by obeying and following him. In addition, they are not to bow down to the foreign gods and idols that we read earlier. He they were not to make covenants with other nations that lived there, and they were not to allow their enemies to live in the land. In return, God says, if you do those, you will find forgiveness for your sins you will find health for yourself and your families you will find property for your of your own you will have prosperity in your life and work and you will have victory over your enemies now this covenant though is different from the others that god has made with noah and abraham and the one he will make with david and the new covenant that he makes later you see for the mosaic law is conditional It's a conditional covenant that God made promises that were conditioned on Israel's obedience. If you do this, I will do that. The response to this promise is found in Exodus chapter 24. If you turn over to verse 3. For Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Why? Because they see the intentions of God to give them a place of their own. No longer will they be nomads just traveling around the land, walk going from one water hole to the next. No longer will they be uh, slaves in a foreign land, but they will have their own place their own plot of land, to work and to give to their children. And God promises that I will give you health and prosperity. Now, unfortunately, that was given to Israel, not to you and I. That's the error of the prosperity gospel. It was a conditional covenant made with them. God says, I will make you a great people, a great possession I'm going to give you some expectations. And my intention is to give you something wonderful in return. And Israel says, yes. Which one of us would not take that same desire, that same type of offer? But again, as in our previous two points, there are many intended parallels between Israel and the church today. God has given us an angel to follow and obey. His name is Christ. He's the Messiah, the Redeemer. Scripture tells us that in Philippians chapter 2, we are to follow him and obey him. For he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus, who did what? Who, though he was God, emptied himself and became, humbled himself and became flesh and gave his life. Do as he says, he says, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but more so in the presence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We're to obey and to follow the angel of Christ. He has called us to forsake the world's influence, to live godly and obey his word. The apostle Paul reminds us of our responsibility in Ephesians chapter 2 that gives us almost the same type of uh, scenario that we see in this covenant. For he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. In other words, I did not choose you because of who you were, but because I chose to just love you. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But he goes on to say in verse 10, we have to remember the rest of it. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. In other words, God has an expectation and an intention for you and I which says, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's three crucial aspects of divine covenant have been outlined above. We've seen the unilateral establishment. God is the one who comes from heaven and says, I will do this. You see the relationship bond where he says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And also an ultimate commitment. God reveals his plan, his expectations, and his intentions for his chosen people. But as we know, Israel failed in keeping this conditional covenant. As you and I read from here on in the Old Testament, it records their many failures in following the commands of God. The book of Joshua and Judges record that Israel did not drive out all the inhabitants of the land, but instead they made unwise covenants with them, even intermarrying with them and adopting their false foreign gods and even sacrificing their own children to their gods by fire. Demonic. Yet God was aware of this and promised a new covenant in Jeremiah. Jeremiah. The new covenant is a covenant made first with the nation of Israel and ultimately with all of mankind. In the new covenant, God promises, to like, like he does here in the Mosaic, to forgive sins. He says there will be a universal knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ who came to fulfill the law of Moses and create a new covenant between God and his people. Now that we're under the new covenant, both Jew and Gentile can be free from the penalty of the law. We are now given the opportunity to receive salvation as a free gift. But this begins with this new chapter as we see in 19-24 in the story of redemption. You see, Jesus did what Adam could not do and what you and I could not do. Jesus did what Moses and Israel could not do. Obey God's command perfectly. In doing so, By perfectly obeying all of God's command and fulfilling this Mosaic covenant, he secured our freedom, our salvation, our adoption of sons, our security in the Spirit, and our eternal home. Now when you and I, as we continue through Exodus chapter 4, we're also going to read of three covenant confirmations. There were three things that would happen when a covenant was given in those days. And it's similar, as you'll see, to Jesus and the Last Supper that he instituted the new covenant. In Exodus Exodus chapter 24, verse 7, we see that the covenant is given verbally. Then he took the book of the covenant, he read it in the hearing of the people, and he said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. There's a verbal or written type of way in which he says, this is my plan, here is my expectations, and here's my intentions. And the people said, We will do in the same way we will read Jesus did that. We also see in the next verse, verse 8, the sprinkling of blood. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. In other words, when a covenant came, instead of a contract you and I sign, right? With ink, a covenant in those days, even for those that were not Israel, but a covenant in the Near East time, ancient Near East was by sacrifice. Something would die, saying, upon this death, upon this blood, you and I could do the Boy Scout. Is, it, is this the Boy Scout swear thing, or whatever it is? Or I swear on a stack of Bibles, I swear on my mother's grave. In this case, something would die, and they would sprinkle the blood. And number three, there was the fellowship and breaking of bread, as we go on to verse 9 of Exodus twenty twenty four, where Moses, Aaron, and the rest of the elders went up They saw the God of Israel and there was under his feet a pavement of sapphire stone and like the very heaven uh, for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and they ate and drank. You see these same things, these verbal, this sprinkling of blood and the fellowship of breaking of blood that would make a covenant secure. The agreement between the two parties would secure it. As you take your uh, eyes to the monitor. We read of the Last Supper, where Jesus does all three of these. Now, as Jesus was eating with the disciples, Jesus took the bread, and after the blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples. He said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink all of it. For this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. So when you and I, as we read this ancient covenant, between Moses and, or between Israel and God, we wonder, what does it mean for you and I? Well, it's the next story in redemption. It's progressively looking forward. It should give us hope as we read it, for we know where it's leading. We also get a glimpse of the gospel in this passage once again. It's God's grace comes before the law of God, or the God's grace once again comes before the law. as God accepts them first. He gives them laws. Then he gives commands of obedience as well as provide for the one who will accomplish our obedience. This Mosaic law comes through grace, just as our covenant of new covenant comes with grace. I pray as you read through these things, you would come to understand the wonderful grace of God as he brings us to his own. And he reveals his plans for us in the new covenant, similar to what God had for Israel. And then he gives us his expectations to be holy, to mediate his kingdom. But also you and I know his intentions for us. For we can go to Revelation chapter 21 and we see the new heavens and new earth and he says, I will be your people and I will be your God. What a wonderful, wonderful story of the gospel. Israel failed. But praise God, you and I do not fail. Not in the same way they did. Yes, we failed to live up to the purposes, the plans. But yet Christ came to fulfill what they could not. Here's a question I wanted. I know many of you might ask. Well, some of you might ask. Well, hopefully maybe at least one of you asked. If you didn't want to ask, I'll just let you know. Are the Christians still under the Ten Commandments? Are the Ten Commandments and those 52 commandments for us today? You know, and there's many, many different things to say about that. The problem is what you and I are looking for is you and I are looking for rules and regulations to live by. You know what? And I understand that because to be honest, that is easier. Is it not? It, it, it's easier for you to just give me a list of things that I am to do and not to do because then I can then evaluate how well I'm doing it and how I'm pleasing God. You know, I I lived in that type of environment in in a Christian school. So they told us how to dress, how to talk, what to listen to, what to watch, what not to watch. All those things, and then you evaluated your spirituality according to those measures. But again, that becomes legalistic. It's much harder to say, well, I tell you what, just love God and love others. Okay, all right. That's really, okay, what does that mean? Now I love what John Piper says. We no longer live under the law. The law, as we're going to see, the Mosaic law, for those of you who've been through our study in Galatians, and again, I think you can go into our website and you can find our series in Galatians, I encourage you to do so. The law was insufficient. It could not do what they wanted it to do. It could not save. For none are justified by keeping the law, yet no one could keep it. But yet we now are kind of, I like what John Piper says. I'm going to put words into his mouth. He says that we're kind of like divorced from the law or the law is dead. So we're no longer married to the law, but we're married to Christ. And the law of Christ is that of love. And so he'd say, if you look at the Ten Commandments, the Bible says, what is love? Love says, if you keep my commandments, then I know that you love me. So then you're almost, well, wait a second, now wait. Said no law but love, but now if I love, I do the commandments. So which one I do? He says very simply, do the commandments that are loving. So whatever God has called us to do, that is to love God, love God. Whatever are those things that love others, love others. That's why uh, I believe Paul could say, as opportunity arises, do good to others. Why? Why? The Bible tells us you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So are we obeyed the laws of Christ or the laws, the Mosaic Law, the Ten Commandments? Yes and no. We obey not because of expectation or because of obligation but because God has called us to love. It's in that way we're called to be obedient to Him. So what does God want me to think or understand because of this? Let me end with this. God wants you to understand that all of human history details His story. His plan is to redeem His chosen people. This plan is not something that you and I deserve, but demonstrates His amazing grace to rebellious, disobedient children. What does God want me to believe? Well, God wants you to trust His plan, recognizing that He is even in the smallest details of your life, bringing you redemption, sanctifying you by His great power, and preparing us for the new heaven and the earth. God wants you to desire Him above all other things. He wants you to desire His promises, to love Him with all your heart, your mind, and strength, and to love others as yourselves. And the last question is, what does God want me to do? Well, God wants you to submit to his plan. Obey and follow Jesus. And he wants us to trust him completely as we serve as bold ambassadors to the gospel. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Like Israel, God has a plan for us. He has expectations for us. And he has intentions. As Israel then, as they heard the word of God, said, we will do, I asked for you. What say you to the offer of God? Would you accept what God has to offer? I pray if you have not done so, that you would. Father, we come before you and we just ask for your strength and your power and your wisdom. Let this message continue to work in our hearts. We thank you for Christ who has fulfilled this Mosaic covenant for us. And Father, we no longer have to obey the law in such a way that we have to earn our salvation, but Father, we accept the grace that's found in loving you and loving others. Make us sufficient for such things. Give us the desire, give us the strength to love you and to love others. And Father, may we continue to serve as your children. In Christ's name, amen.
0: We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangefrilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org.